There's a pride in a sunny side too Though we meet with darkness and strife The sunny side also we may view Oh, keep on the sunny side Always on the sunny side Keep on that sunny side of life It'll help us every Brighten all our ways if you keep on that sunny side alive. Well, you are listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host tonight, Sean Dietrich. This episode is brought to you by Case Knife, a tradition of my family date back to my granddaddy who once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife. And by Visit North Alabama or hashtag Visit North AL. Visit the 16 North Alabama counties and make the state what it is counties with all sorts of interesting and crazy names and by folklore brewing and meadery quite literally the best brew in alabama visit folklore brewing and meadery.com the music here behind me tonight is aaron peters on the fiddle we got barbara snyder singing with her angelic voice josh arnold the attorney on his martin guitar and todd frazier playing bass like a man with his hair on fire let's sing one more time keep on the sunny side always on the sunny side Keep on that sunny side alive It'll help us every day We'll brighten all our ways If you keep on that sunny side alive Teach me something, Aaron, teach me song of hope each day though our moments be cloudy or fair let us trust in our savior always the sun again will shine bright and clear last time keep on the sunny side always on the sunny side keep on that sunny side alive it'll help us every That's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite songs perhaps in the whole world, of course, made popular by the Carters, Carter family, played that on their radio show, I believe it was. We're coming to you from Shelby County, Columbiana, the county seat of Shelby County, a uh, place that is the geographic center of Alabama for all my people in South Alabama. This is where the word power, P-O-W-E-R, is pronounced P-A-R. Par. 
This is where they pronounce those little black things on the bottom of cars that roll back and forth. Spelled T-I-R-E. They pronounce it T-A-R-R. Tar. Kick the tars, light the fars. It's a wonderful place to be, I'm going to tell you. The old town was originally called a town in 1821. Before that, uh, settlers had been coming here since 1792. Now, these were crazy people. And I can tell you that with a straight face because I'm on the stage with, with four crazy people. These crazy people were from Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina and North Carolina. And these folks journeyed to get to this place on horseback and covered wagons using hatchets to cut through the wilderness and their children were tagging along carrying their, their rag dolls. These were kids who had grit and sand in their veins. They knew how to do their own laundry without consulting their iPhone for YouTube instructional videos. Rough-handed, greedy men. These are crazy people because in about 1826, before they had a courthouse, Montevallo, the town right beside, and Columbiana, were in an all-out war over who was gonna have the county seat. This war just went back and forth, push and shove, push and shove. Well, Columbiana won. They won to get their county seat, and this is how your ancestors celebrated. They went out into the woods, and they started boring big old holes in these long-leaf pine trees. And they filled these holes with gunpowder. Then, once the pine trees looked like Swiss cheese and packed holes, from top to bottom, they lit the suckers on fire. There was blasts and explosions all over the forests and glens. They could hear them all the way up in Birmingham. And then, one of the trees caught fire. They call this a Columbiana birthday candle. And this is what happened to form the town Columbiana. So uh, when they asked me if I wanted to do a show here, the first thing I said is no. <laughs> They twisted my arm, and I did. How I found myself, though, on a stage with the principal of the Shelby County High School is kind of an interesting thing, and the, the county attorney, who's playing the guitar behind me right now, is very interesting. This is a pivotal place for me. The first time I ever really did any speaking gigs uh, was in Columbiana at your high school in the library. Y'all have a band called Intermission Band. Is that right? Can you tell me a little bit about how that came to be, that name? co-headline an event with another group and our strategic mistake was leaving that other group in charge of the bill so when we arrived the, the bill said that band intermission that band again so by default we we were intermission and it stuck i can hear everybody out there in the internet land laughing right now that's and it tickles the cockles of my heart to hear them laugh like that what are y'all going to be playing for us here in a, <laughs> in a little bit? Uh, this is uh, All of Me, is that, is that what it's called? Now tell us how this song got to be. I mean, how, how did you write this as opposed to Half of Me? <laughs> it, it sort of came in halves. Dropbox is our friend, and we work better apart. Um, I'll record something that I play, like what I've been noodling, and she'll write words, and stuff just sort of comes out, so it, it works. I like it. All right, All of Me.
Please give us a big round. Oh man, actual claps. It's been so long since I've heard claps. Well, I'm going to read you a little bit of my mail. We uh, asked for some messages to be sent uh, into, into us, and we had all sorts of people send us messages. Though God knows why. They have a lot of important things they could do with their life, and instead they were sending us messages. We got so many messages that there's no way I could read. Uh, them all and I apologize for that uh, so I had a third party sort through all these messages a third party a neutral party we sent it all the way to Switzerland 
I heard one person laugh out there. That's nice. It's a pleasant sensation. It just tickles me. This first letter comes from Sue Anderson in Austin, Texas. Dear Sean, I just wanted you to know that when I went in for my screening after a long fight with cancer, I'm officially cancer-free. I don't know if anybody in here can applaud, but go ahead if you want to. Sue, can you hear us? We're all applauding you. Cancer-free. She says, Sean, I'm officially cancer-free. I just want to shout out loud. I had to tell somebody. It's been a long, long, hard road. You don't know how badly I want a beer. I'd say, Sue, it's time to go ahead and uh, have one. Mark from Des Moines, Iowa. Sean, glad to have you back. My mom subscribes to Southern Living, and I was sitting down at her table, and I saw your podcast mentioned in there, and I just wanted to say thank you because you make my commute to work a real heartache. I'm an EMT. Joy is hard to come by, but every time I tune in, I do enjoy it just a little bit. Mark, I appreciate the plug. That was uh, very nice. Randy, Randy from Gallatin, Tennessee. Sean, I've worked in a funeral service since I was 14 years old. My grandfather died when I was five. He had a massive heart attack sitting next to me at the dinner table, and man, it was hard. My brother and I were there to spend the night with he and my grandmother while my parents enjoyed a concert at the now-closed Opryland USA theme park. I was five, my brother was three. And the last thing I remember before they took him out of the house was the paramedics, the firefighters, and the police officers pumping his chest. They were doing everything they could to save his life, and I, I knew he was gone. I had no idea how at five years old I knew that, but I did. Anyway, my parents, my great-grandmother, my relatives, my friends, they have all been good to me. A mentor, an old man who served as a leader in my life was a man named Tom, tall, with rose-tinted glasses, standing 6'5". He looked kind of scary to me at first until he spoke. When he spoke, he treated me as an adult and not a child. And he involved me in the whole process of my grandfather's funeral. I picked out my grandfather's black stainless steel casket. He always drove black cars. And Tom later became a real important person to me, a hero and a boss, but most of all, my friend. We still talk almost weekly because we work side by side. We've done some pretty neat things together, me and Tom. Neat things such as handling the services for June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash. What a treat. The first night I saw one of your shows, I was in the audience, and I was about to quit my job. I'd been given the opportunity to purchase a funeral home in my hometown of Gallatin. I was sick to my stomach because I knew I was about to do something that would change my life and my family's life forever. I'd almost talk myself out of it until I heard your pitiful performance that evening. <laughs> I felt a sense of peace knowing that if you could screw up like that, no. He didn't say that. He said, I felt a sense of peace knowing that I was making the right decision. And that following Monday, March 2nd, I emailed my resignation to my bosses. It was a big step, but I'm seven months into ownership, and we've served almost 110 families so far. I just wanted to tell you, thank you, your friend, Randy. Well, Randy, I appreciate that letter. I remember you very well. He gave me a, a pen after that performance, and I stuck it in my hat. It was a pen for the Tennessee Volunteers 
was kind of tough for my roll-tied heart, but I did it. I've been wearing it for a long time. This next letter is from Sarah in Houma, Louisiana. Sean, my sister turns 50 on September 29th, and I didn't get her a gift. She's pretty much one of the hardest people to shop for, and she's an excellent gift giver, which makes capping this milestone birthday of hers even harder and more problematic for this little sister. But one thing I do know is that she reads your stuff. She might even listen to your misguided show. Every day, every morning, it arrives in her inbox, and she forwards it to all her friends whether they want to read it or not. <laughs> Our hometown, Louisiana, Huma, Louisiana, is uh, not one that many people talk about. So when you talk about baseball or Catholicism or old churches or interesting people or rich history, it really means something to us. You just make our hearts feel good in 50's big birthday, and she made it clear that she didn't want to party, but since she does stay in touch with you, I wondered if you might wish her a happy birthday. But before you do, I want to tell you a little something about her. About 10 years ago, my dad was diagnosed with ALS, and my sister is a physical therapist. In his youth, my dad was a professional baseball player, and my sister thought he was becoming, she was becoming a PT because she wanted to work with athletes, and she does a bit of that. But mostly, she does rotator cuffs and knee replacements and bad bikes and seniors exercise classes on Thursdays. Well, back to my dad. He got sick, and the form of ALS he had was a slower progression than most. It was a benefit to have a PT in the family. The Lord knew what he was doing, I guess, when he led her down that career path. He had his own PT built in. There are years of details that led us to the last three years of my dad's life, but the short version is that in 2016, my dad was put on a ventilator. He spent over 20 days in the hospital, and when he was ready to be released, the hospital pulmonologist looked at our family and she said, hey, you're not gonna take him home. There's no way you can't take care of him. And my sister looked that pulmonologist in the eye and she said, I don't think you understand. I am taking him home. And Sean, we did. We took him home, and even though it was really hard, we loved my dad so much. We loved him. Those years were hard, and we were so blessed to have them. There's no way we would have had those three years more with my dad if we wouldn't have taken him home. She's an amazing human being, my sister. What she did for my family during that process is her true path to holiness. She is a saint. Don't you forget it. She's an awesome, awesome person. How about a shout out? How about a shout out to my sister? Well, I'm going to give a shout out to your sister, Sarah. Uh, you just forgot to tell me her dang name. So we're going to sing happy birthday. What do you say? What, what key we in? D? A? Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear sister. Happy birthday to you. And I mean it, I really do. This next letter comes to us from Nick Grab in Kolioka, Tennessee. Kolioka. I hope that to the good Lord I'm saying that right. Hi, Sean. Last Wednesday, I started having some neck and ear pain before going to bed. I thought I could just sleep it off, but it woke me up about 1 a.m. And as I rolled out of bed to take some medicine, my wife said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm taking some meds so I can go back to sleep for my neck. 
She said, well, the ibuprofen's in the bag. Well, this is a bag, Sean, that we carry some high-intensity allergy medicine for my boys. We also carry EpiPens in it for them. I proceeded out to the bag with no lights on and grabbed whatever medicine I could find. I know where this is going all of a sudden. I pulled one pill out thinking it was ibuprofen and I put the medicine back into my mouth and I hit the bed and two days later I woke up in the prone position and figured out that I had taken allergy medication instead of ibuprofen. Just something to lift your spirits. Sincerely, Nick. Dear Nick, that sounded like fun. <laughs> Mike Allen, uh, he says, outside Ta Taos, New Mexico. Dear Sean, listen to you this Thursday night from a small town in New Mexico, way out west tonight, population 57 people. Lots of ranches out here and people who walk sideways. And I just want to say there's nothing better than having my family gather around me, healthy and happy during this time of pandemics. Well, thank you very much, Mike. This next letter comes from Dustin George in Brookhaven, Mississippi. A little fleck on the map town. As the first stay-at-home mandate spread to our little town, Sean, I stood in the living room and I looked through the blinds of the neighbor's lawn across the street. And on a pole in the yard, I saw a brand new American flag waving slowly in the spring breeze, sipping my morning coffee, which mere days earlier would have been enjoyed at the office. But now I was at home. I stared at that flag and I thought about how we were all seeing our nation in a different way through slighted sunlight from our couches as we watched a flattened version of reality on whatever screen we looked at. Over the passing weeks, our family did things that became the norm for us. We stockpiled a closet full of Charmin toilet paper and a pantry full of dried rice and pinto beans. The toilet paper is now gone. The rice is gone too. The beans remain. We baked loaves of homemade bread until the very air hung heavy with that warm, sweet smell. And then we ate the bread until we lamented that we could not fit into our pants anymore. And then we exercised religiously until we were back in shape. And then we baked more bread again, a vicious cycle. The rise and fall continued as surely as the tides and left us washed up, either from exertion or working or working out. We watched people argue and politicians posture and we saw cities burn and unrest spread and fear grow. We witnessed wildfires, storms, floods, hurricanes, extreme heat, and it seemed like it seemed like we were dropping from the sky. And all the while, with each passing day, the flag stood in the neighbor's lawn and it flew through the torrents of the spring rains and hung limply during the summer's breezeless heat. And I noticed just yesterday that that flag was just a little bit tattered and faded and worn thin. It's been through a lot over the past months, and so have we. We may be a bit banged up, we may be a little bit tired, and we may be a little bit tattered, but like that flag, we're still here, and as long as there's breath, as long as there's hope, I believe that is something to smile about. I'm gonna lay down my sword and sheath down by the riverside down by the riverside down by the riverside I'm gonna lay down 
my sword and shield down by the riverside ain't gonna study whoa no more ain't gonna study war no more ain't gonna study war no more ain't gonna study Gonna study that war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Mm, ain't gonna study war, war, war no more. Go on, Mr. Something else. 
steady Whoa, no more Ain't gonna steady war no more Ain't gonna steady war no more Ain't gonna steady This portion of our program is generously made possible by Lindsay and Russ Allison, one of the, or two of the, uh, of the three people who are sitting in the audience tonight, or maybe four, right, uh, 4.5. And as usual, this podcast is brought to you by Case Knives, who has been very, very good to me in that they give me a free knife every time I say their name over the air. <clears throat> Case Knives are really a great company. Case Knives. <laughs> are also uh, like friends to me. Case Knives is just, uh, this episode also brought to you by Recording King Guitars. Recording King Guitars, the originator of the Dirty 30s model, used to be found in the Montgomery Ward catalog, right after your Pentecostal fundamentalist mother ripped out the underwear section. There would be Recording King Guitars in the back. They reproduce these things. You can find out more about them at recordingkingguitars.com. Also, Folklore Brewing and Meadry. Quite literally, the best brew in Alabama. Visit folklorebrewingandmeadry.com for more information. Josh and Barb, I think you're going to play a song here that requires me to play the piano. That's right. And this is called, tell us what it's called. This is called Best of Intentions. Best of Intentions. And how did you come by the title of this, as opposed to, you know, Worst of Intentions? Well, it's, you know, songwriters, good songwriters, try to avoid cliches like the plague. Um, and so, you know, you've heard that that phrase, you know, roads paved with good intentions. So this song's actually about a guy that paves roads. So take it out of the take it out of the metaphorical and take it into the the concrete or asphalt, as it were. <laughs> How long y'all been playing together, Josh and Barb and Todd? Um, gosh, I've been playing with Todd for a long decades at this point and we've been we've been a band for probably six seven years so long time long enough and this guy you see right here in the rust colored button-down shirt this is my good friend Aaron Aaron and I go way way back he won't tell you but he's a uh, international fiddle champion six times in a row mm-hmm he's also according to many people that I've met he's he's got a lot of financial options he's not single he's got children and he's got a lovely wife so many of the ladies out there uh, you need to just steer clear of Aaron but he is a nice looking man
My goodness, you rip our hearts out. Are you ever going to give them back? We're not real sure. We're not real sure. This guy right here that I just introduced, Aaron Peters, environmental engineer, environmental scientist. Yeah, I got it right. Don't even know what my own friend does for a living. Tell you. He plays a song that I love more than any other song. And I, I guess I'm, I'm starting to turn in to the older folks who kind of raised me. And the person that I'm thinking of the most is this little scrawny woman. She was just so little, lived in that little house on Ohio Street, house that was built in 1923, two-story Queen Anne-style house with a tin roof, little sideways lean to it. 
She had a paralyzed vocal cord. It was a paralyzed vocal cord that made her talk like a bass tuba. She had a wandering eye. Her left eye would be looking right at you, and then it'd be looking beside you. This was my grandmother. She would answer the phone and people would say, uh, excuse me, sir, can I speak to the woman of the house? And she'd say, this is she. Wonderful woman. I'll never forget. Uh, she was a very spiritual woman. Very spiritual woman. She'd wear her nightgown around the house, a uh, little trailer house that they lived in. The walls and the ceilings were caked in yellow and brown funk mildew. That's no cut to her housekeeping abilities whatsoever. And we would watch a little old brown console television, Zenith console television. And right on the screen would be Brother Graham, Billy Graham. In his, in his crusade setting, looking at everybody, he'd say, who is your neighbor? God loves you. And he would go through an entire sermon. And it would just get her so stirred up. And then they would bring on George Beverly Shea. Oh, George Beverly Shea. Bless that man's heart. Had hair that looked like it could deflect high caliber bullets. And he would sing, Just as I am without one plea. And my granny would sit on her sofa and she would sing every word to every verse. And she would never once lose that little cigarette hanging out the corner of her mouth. Beautiful woman. Thank you for the three people out there laughing in the studio. It feels so nice. Her favorite song was a song that was sang at her funeral. She was put into her casket. She died very, very early. She was, she was still, in my opinion, a young woman, 65 years old. When they laid her down, my mother embroidered a pillow to go underneath her head, and it just said, I love you, Granny. Those were my words to her. The last thing she did when she was hooked up on a ventilator was this. Tap two fingers to her mouth. My mother looked at her and she said, I can't get your Winstons. I can't get them for you. And she just did this. Couldn't speak, but wanted that last cigarette. God, too bad she couldn't get it. Nothing brought her more joy than coffee and cigarettes and Brother Graham. And this song. Share as we take 
You know, history was made a few nights ago. I don't know if you know that. And if you don't, I'm really sorry for you. Because it was big history. Big, 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 big history. Now, I was in a hotel room in Chattanooga. A cheap hotel room that my wife books. She never books anything nice because she's tighter than bark on a tree. My mother used to say that if you fed my wife copper pennies, she could produce copper wiring. And I'll let you think about that for a second. And so there I was on the, on the cheap motel bed. And I'm watching this cheap motel TV screen. And on this cheap motel TV screen are these little green men running around a green field. Now they were green because the screen was all funky. These cheap hotels don't really worry about their color saturation points. And so the whole screen was radar screen green. And these green men on the screen were the Atlanta Braves. 
They were running around and they were winning a game 11 to 0 and then 11 to 1. And as soon as that final hit was hit out to left center, it was caught by Freddie Freeman before it ever hit left center. And the game was over and the Braves were pronounced the National League champions, National League East champions of 2020. And I was jumping around in my cheap little bathrobe rooting for them little green men because baseball always connects me to something that's a little bigger than myself. There's something beautiful about the game of baseball. It's poetry in motion. You could see men on a stage like this going through their wind-ups and their pitches, and it would look like a ballet. Of course, baseball always relates me to my father. It seems like something that always connects me to him. And so, in honor of this NL East division win that we have, a chance to go play in the postseason, we're going to play a song here that features everybody in the band. And when it comes to uh, solos, I really want you to pay attention to what Todd Brazier's over there playing. Todd, that's a six-string bass, is that right? That is correct. And six strings of, of pure harmonic joy. Did you have that thing custom-made? I did. He did. He had that thing custom-made. He is an exceptional musician. Uh, he makes us all feel real bad about ourselves. And so when it's his turn for his solo, if you would, just kind of look away a little bit so your eyes don't burn from the sheer heat that he generates over there. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack.
Appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, oh yes, yes. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Josh and Barb have been together seven, eight years. If you're just joining us, and he's known Todd ever since they were making mud pies in the backyard. Todd uh, keeps the books in town. Josh is a county attorney, and Barbara is God's favorite principal at Shelby County High School. She has. Well, we like to call her the band's conscience. She keeps us on the straight and the narrow. What are you going to play for us here, y'all? This is a tune called All Talkin' Northern. And, and that is a train, right? A train yeah, a train this song. is a country song. It's about trains and choices. Trains and choices. We don't, we don't make any judgments. We just... I, I, I'm just going to try to, to hold on and play along with you. This time 
guys have a new album out, is that right? We do. New album. Yes. Can you hear me over that applause? I, I, I know we're on the other, yeah. Oh, there it is. My goodness. Pandemic done got to people's minds. Everybody's having hard times. Lord, Nick Saban's doing half-flat commercials to pay the rent. <laughs> What's the new album called? Uh, the new album is called Skeletons. Skeletons. Yes. And how, tell people how they can find that. Um, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, all the places that you stream music, or you can, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at intermission.tunes and message us, and we'll send you a hard copy with some really great artwork on it by Michelle Branson, who is the local art teacher here. Um, it's fantastic work, so you ought to just check it out. Please. So is that who did the painting, Michelle Branson? Yes, Miss Branson actually did that. That um, is a lovely painting. It was mm -hmm. something she had already done, and it just sort of fit with what we were doing, so, you know, things just work out. Michelle Branson, does she teach here? at the? At, as she does, high she school does. art teacher. High school yeah. art teacher. Barbara, how'd you get into singing? I grew up in a Pentecostal church and was singing since I was a little girl. What are some songs that are in the Pentecostal uh, hymn book that are just, you know, standards? What comes to mind right away? I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I can't clap on two and four. He set me free. He set um, you free. Victory is mine. Is that a... Victory in Jesus. Uh, victory in Jesus. That's a good... Uh, what else? Victory is, in mine is, victory is mine is there also. Yeah. Church of God, is that right? Church yes. of God? Mm -hmm. Josh, you Church of God, too? Yes. So is Todd. Todd's Church of God. Well, this is very interesting here. We're going to take up an offer. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> what, what are you? Southern. Southern Baptist. Me, too. I come from a long line of people who do not believe in keeping NyQuil in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think I'm joking. I know you do. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a young man, uh, Willie Nelson was coming to our town, and I was extremely excited to see him. They were always pumping it on the radio. Willie's coming, Willie's coming, Willie's coming. They'd always play a little bit of something on the TV, on the radio, in the newspaper. Willie's coming. I wanted to go to this concert so bad, and my mother, she was not a big fan of Willie Nelson. My mother was a very religious woman. She liked to go to all the churches. And even though we were raised Southern Baptists, I like to lovingly refer to my mother as a Baptist Presby Methodocostalitarian. She'd go to any church that you could get her into. She was a, a devout woman, and so Willie Nelson sang a song that had whiskey in the title, and that was it for her. I wasn't allowed to really do much with Willie as long as he was singing about rivers of whiskey. But my father somehow convinced her to let me go to this concert if I earned the money for the ticket myself, and he would go with me. So I was very excited about this. I pushed mowed a lot of lawns. I was a very chubby child, very chubby. I had a little bowl haircut because my parents, being fundamentalists, did not believe in getting haircuts in places that other people got their haircuts. And so they would place a stainless steel bowl over my head on the front porch, and my mother would bring out a pair of military-grade horse clippers and she'd run them around my head until I looked a whole lot like Mo Howard from the Three Stooges. And Chubby. Mo Howard and Chubby. And I always wore uh, clothes that had been handed down to me from my cousin, so they never really seemed to fit just right. You can imagine a kid showing up to your lawn with a push mower dressed like Mo Howard. I push mowed a lot of lawns, I earned a lot of money, and I was ready to go to this Willie Nelson concert. The night was approaching fast. 
And I would lay in my bed and I would look at these, these uh, Willie Nelson magazines that I had got from friends. They were friends back then before the age of cell phones when you could, you could procure just about anything. School, public school was a lot like a public prison system. You get anything, and our, our uh, currency in the school system was jelly beans and jawbreakers instead of cigarettes, but uh, the magazine that I got was a Willie Nelson magazine. I'm looking at this magazine, and I love this man. He, I just love his approach to life, old Willie. He just, he just, he was us, you know? The night of the concert, my mother took my temperature. It was 102, maybe 150, I can't remember. Let's make it big if we're going to do it right. I laid in the bed. My daddy came into the room. He was still wearing his work attire. And he saw me there. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was already starting to hallucinate. And the last thing I saw was this little magazine across the floor. Willie Nelson was on the cover of the magazine playing Trigger. His old busted up guitar and his braids were there. And I looked at my father and, and oh, I was sick. In the middle of the night, I woke up. My mother and father both took turns uh, sitting beside me all night because they were very scared. They had the doctor come over. He said things weren't very good. If the fever kept up like that, you know, something needed to be done or my brain would boil. And I remember late in the night, I could hear singing. And I looked over to my right where the chair was, and I saw my father in his work clothes still, greasy, sooty. He was a stick welder. And he was reading this magazine about Willie Nelson, and he was singing. <laughs> oh, he looked at me, and he put his hand on my forehead. He said, don't worry, there'll be a next time. Well, there was a next time. The next time came when I was 16 years old. Willie was coming to Atlanta, and I was excited. My cousin Ed Lee had a 1982 two-tone Vanilla white in red Ford. He got two two-tone doors from a green Ford placed onto it because the doors had been ripped off in, in, in a hunting accident. So it was an ugly truck, but it, it had a great engine. He always, he always changed the oil very regularly, every 14,000 miles, whether it needed it or not. And we were ready to, to be hitting the road to go see Willie together. Now, my mother had never let me leave home before. She, she was very, very apprehensive about this. She said, what are you going to do if you fall into trouble? I said, I don't know, Mama. She reached into her pocket. I'll never forget this. She gave me a $10 bill. She said, put this in your shoe. If you ever have problems, put this in your shoe. And she reached in. She gave me another 10 So I had a 10 for each shoe. We were driving along. My cousin was playing music on the radio, and it was about midway through our trip. We saw this truck parked on the side of the road. I'll never forget it. Gray truck with primer paint. And this, this man was sitting in the front seat. His, his head was shaking a little bit, and he had pure white hair. And he seemed like he was talking to himself. My cousin drove by him. He said, you think that man needs help? I said, I don't care. Keep driving. We got a concert to go to. I've been waiting a long time for this. We kept looking at each other very uneasy, very uneasy. I mean, you don't want to, to pass that point where your soul goes into perdition. The next thing you know, a life of sin like that could lead to dancing. <laughs> he turned around. And we were driving back. I'll never forget it. I saw that man sitting there shaking his head, 
We hopped out. We said, sir, do you need any help? And I noticed in the back seat of his, or the back bed of his truck, there were all these Coleman coolers. He said, yeah, yeah, I need some help. I've got somewhere to be. And my cousin said, where do you have to be? He said, I've got to be all the way down in Mobile. He said, Mobile? You're a long way from Mobile. What do you, what, what do you, what's wrong? He said, well, I have a flat. I don't have a spare. We looked at these tires my cousin's tire wouldn't fit this man's truck. He needed a ride. My cousin and I looked at each other. We whispered a few obscenities underneath our breath. We knew what was going to happen. There was no way we were going to get to the Willie Nelson concert. The man said that he had a daughter down in Mobile who was having a wedding shower that night. They had been estranged from each other for a long time, ever since he had had a stroke Half of his face was kind of paralyzed. It, it, it had created tension in the family between he and his wife. They ended up getting a divorce, and he moved away. Hadn't seen his daughter in many, many years, but he had been trying to reestablish this connection with her somehow. And she finally agreed to let him provide the barbecue for her wedding shower. And boy, he was excited. He had been smoking pork butt all day long, and his coolers were full of this stuff. We opened up these coolers, and it was the most blessed barbecue you have ever smelt in your entire life with bark that's so thick it ought to be on a birch tree. We got him in that little 82 Ford, crammed in there. It smelled like he hadn't taken a bath in about six weeks. We drove toward Mobile, and I heard on the radio... When we turned on the radio to feel that silence between us, a Willie Nelson song, and I just wanted to puke. We got to this little house in Mobile, and we helped him unload his coolers, and we went into that little party they were having. Boy, I tell you, I have never had so much fun with a bunch of bridesmaids in all my life. Do you know what kind of games they play at bridal showers? Games Baptist boys have never even thought about. <laughs> we ate barbecue until our blood sugar was very, very stable, and we got our daily requirement for cholesterol. It was a wonderful day. And when it was all said and done, we left him there, the old man, with his daughter. We piled into my cousin's 82 Ford, and we started to drive back home. My cousin said, what do we do now? I said, I don't know. I reached into my shoes, and I realized I had 20 bucks to spare. He took that money in there. He just gently left it on the table. Didn't say a word. Came running back out. Got in the truck. We drove back home. My mother saw me come in. She said, what happened? I said, oh, we had some car problems. She said, oh, I'm just so sorry. I know how much that meant to you. I went upstairs to my bedroom. And I found this old record, this record that has a picture of that scrawny, red-headed stranger right on it. And I placed it on that turntable, that, that, that old Zenith turntable, and watched it go round and round and round. And he played this. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of a land far away 
Where the tree of life is in eternal bloom Spreads its fragrance on an uncloudy day Oh, 
tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me on an uncloudy day. Well, tonight's broadcast was made possible by the Black Box Theater here in Columbia, Alabama. Bruce Andrews, Benny the Big Man, D-Lama. The illustrious George Dudley back there making us sound, well, as good as we can sound, but he had not much to work with. Barbara Snyder, Josh Arnold, Aaron Peters, Todd Brazier on the guitar. Special thanks to Lindsay and Russ Allison. I also want to say a final thank you to the Shelby Arts Council, whose ongoing mission is to help Alabama see art one pair of eyes at a time. For more information, visit shelbycountyartscouncil.com. Let's play this one more time. Oh, the land of cloudless days. Say, oh, they tell me on, on.